Welcome to this episode of Punching Sideways with Brad Chalmers, the guy who has been charming Mr. Josh Liston for all of his Border Bandit career. And I want to know how. (laughs) From the sidelines, I was involved with the club and... One thing I don't think comes up enough is your ability to find talent. And maybe without the budgets that other clubs have to just pick these diamonds in the rough. And one of them was Dante Nicholas that came to the club in a pretty unique way. But can you just tell us how you found someone like that? And also, how do you know that someone's actually good? Yeah, well, obviously to the uh, to the, to the Dante one, look, I think we, uh, you know, as you know, I think that whole year, the 2015 one we're talking about was, look, it was probably Moneyball at its finest. You know, I know you guys have probably seen that movie with Brad Pitt. Mel, you probably love Brad Pitt. That's sort of how that year really shaped out, probably more so than any other year. It was um, just really searching all parts of the world to try and find, and Australia, for that matter, to try and find a, a list. But the Dante one particularly was, yeah, it was pretty unique in that, I was talking to Joey Wright, who was the um, the coach of the Adelaide 36s in the NBL at that time, and uh, uh, we were talking about imports, and I think it was a couple of his guys that might have been on his roster as DPs and stuff like that. And he mentioned this kid that um, that he'd had training with him when they went up to Darwin. I think it was some sort of camp or, or pre-season thing that they were doing, and and Dante was actually up there playing in Darwin. So he, he, he'd come across and, and played in the um, in the Darwin competition, which ran in our off-season. So it ran from, I think it was September down to about December, something like that. So obviously you can't play basketball up in Darwin when it's super hot. So they play at the back end of the year. And, um, yeah, so, so, so Dante had got himself over there. And uh, Joey said, yeah, I had this kid with me and this American kid. And, yeah, super legit, you know. Intent as they come, hardworking, you know, can can sort of play two or three positions, elite defender. Um, I said, you need to have a look at him. Like if we could have a, a you know another import, we, we'd sign him. You know, we'd sign him. And and I said, geez, this um this all sounds really promising. And then from there, obviously at that point in time, we we had Deborah George playing for us as well, and and Deborah was actually playing in the same league as Dante because obviously Deborah goes back to Darwin as well through the through the off season and plays up there. So I immediately got onto Deborah and, and he said, yeah, no, no, coach, I know him and da 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 and he was able to give me obviously a fair bit of information about, you know, his skill set and and said that he'd actually, you know, he had been clubbing with him and so you know what you know how the guys are, they all sort of to uh, congregate and hang out and they get to know each other a little bit. And he said, yeah, no, great guy. So that, that sort of led to then me just reaching out to Dante. And 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 then the second part of that is I was also um, at that time, I think the club was recruiting Ashton Eaton, who was a women's program. And I was able to speak to Ashton because Ashton was working with Dante, doing a lot of clinics, and he was actually doing some skill work with her and putting her through her paces. So I sort of had two really quality people that I was able to sort of really find out some information and, and then it just one thing led to another, and then obviously you know Dante um, was was more than happy. We were probably the first team and the only team I think he said that had approached him to play in, in Siebel or what it was at that time. And you know, and as soon as we saw film and 
started to get a bit of a background check on him. It was like, yeah, we've got to sign this guy before someone else sees him. Yeah. And uh, and that's how the story went. And he obviously stayed here with us for two years. And and if you've kept an eye on him, Josh, he's, he's um, you know, plying his trade in Europe year after year and, and in pretty, pretty high levels now. So he's a real, like you said, a diamond in the rough that we found from nowhere and it's gone on to some, some really positive things. So when you're talking about that and you, you reference Moneyball, who's the person that you would sort of look sideways to and bounce these sort of strategies off? Who Who is your person that you – like obviously people turn to you for guidance and leadership. Who's your person that you would turn to and go, what do you think about this? You know, that's probably where, you know, the coaches over the journey with me have probably helped me the most. You know, it's probably the area that I've asked them to be most productive in is just that helping me evaluate and try and find – a roster that we can, A, get within our budget. You know, it's obviously been the most challenging thing for me as we've worked through the last 10 years was just trying to build a roster and find the appropriate level of talent to try and compete with, with a, you know, what we'd call a probably a bottom five spending budget in the league we were in. So, yeah, your assistant coaches were probably my main people. And then um, just as the years wore on, I certainly had some other people within the club, you know, you always had to run things by the president of the club at times. They're not always, they weren't always basketball people, but there was always a, an element of logical decision-making coming from those guys, you know, and, and talking about all the little things you needed to look at, you know, background checks and making sure we're doing our due diligence. So I suppose that's probably your main people, your, your assistant coaching staff, and then um, and then really obviously working with your, your, your president who, um, you know, I had uh, three really good presidents or four really through my time, but they all sort of had different strengths. But certainly um, through that period of time, there was some, some good people around the club that you could bounce some ideas off, which was, yeah, really helpful. You mentioned Deba. So that was someone that, regardless if you'd never seen him play before, he came to Albury the year before and put on one of the performances of probably all time in that stadium in terms of just killing us. So you saw him firsthand at whatever his peak was. You didn't need to go anywhere to see him. You saw it happen in real life. I think he had 42 points in three quarters or something. When you're watching footage, though, you're getting sent the very best highlights of maybe hundreds of players that you're trying to seek out. How do you know, Brad, what's real and what's not? Like, obviously, you're talking to people, but you don't get to see everyone like Deborah in front of you and then the next season try and recruit him. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's all smoke and mirrors, Josh, this stuff, you know. It's, I think everyone's trying to sell you, you know, sell you candy and sometimes it's it's sour candy. So I think it's a process of, yes, everyone sends you the highlight tape, which shows the beautiful stuff that they do. And, you know, that's the idea of it, isn't it, is to get you get you firstly interested in them as a, as a, as a player or an employee or whatever it might be and, but then you have to start doing some work and the work is, yeah, getting back and finding, you know, full game footage, you know, full game footage and then obviously sitting down and, and, and watching that, a bit the same as what you, you're talking about there. You, have, you actually have to sit down and watch the whole game, you know, and, and that's the that's the time-consuming part of trying to, um, you know, in a basketball landscape of recruiting is you've got to actually go and watch so much film to make your decisions because, yeah, everyone's trying to send you the four-minute clip that shows you've been a world beater, but the reality is, you know, what do you do 
in the times when you don't have the ball? What are the 1% things you're trying to do on the court? Um, what sort of body language do you display when things are going wrong and the scoreboard's not heading in your direction? And you have to watch the whole game to just see how people are interacting with their teammates, how coachable are they, their effort levels when they're not playing well. And that's just the stuff that you have to try and do. It's, it's, um, it's a bit of a grind. And but that's where you also on top of that, you've really got to try and get good. Like it's the same with references, you know. You guys would know every time you go for a job, your references, you know, very rarely speak ill of you, you know. Um, otherwise, you're probably not getting the right reference, are you? That's the other thing as well. You, you talk to these referees and these coaches, and oh, yeah, he's fantastic, you know, best kid I ever had, and, you know. So it's then, like, you know, I, I call it deciphering the bullshit, you know, you've got to then go back <laughs> and go, well, hang on. What's what's true and what's not here, you know, and and that takes a little bit of time, and it, and it means going around and uh, maybe asking some different people, or you know, reaching out to you know assistant coaches too at times. I think talking to head coaches can sometimes be a bit too easy. So yeah, that that gives you a bit of a, a, a snapshot anyway. If you like us, like I like us. Get onto punchingsideways.com, give us a bit of a likesy, have a bit of an exploration around and maybe buy us a coffee. What's your most underrated recruit? Not someone that's turned out into a big name, that sort of, but someone that really probably didn't get the, the overall credit that you think that they were due and why is that? Oh, look, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one, well, there's two, and, and they're probably – two guys that had significant impacts on the club in terms of our results. So one would be in 2012, we we actually won the, the Siebel National Championship and that was, we went from last to first, which I think has been well, well highlighted. Um, I still think that's worth some sort of a movie deal, Josh, too, I think, just quietly. Um, <laughs> I agree. But the, there's a young fellow we had there that I got from Sydney. His name was Ben Hollis. Ben was a really underrated sort of guy within our framework, I think. Not an overly um, super skilled guy, but in terms of his fit with that particular group, you know, played the, the, the small forward, power forward, brought a real energy. He was a bouncy, athletic sort of guy. We put him in a couple of positions right through the course of the year that really highlighted his skills and his strengths, and he really flourished. But he was that underrated guy that I think on the scattering report, the opposition didn't really give him much respect. Mm-hmm. And and he sort of week to week just flew under that radar, you know, and, and and produced some really solid moments through the year for us. And, you know, I think through the, the back half of the year really solidified, you know, our position in that top part of the ladder. And I thought he was a really understated recruit. Another one, Mel, would be... Um, and uh, one of Josh's mates too, he's, he's good friends with now, is, is Claiborne McMath. So a guy we had in 20, 2015. He, he, he'd been in the NBL system a little bit with, with, with Townsville. And we, we brought him in. And again, you know, whether it was a little bit, I don't think he was an understated recruiter. Certainly people knew of him. But I thought, again, he was one that probably, you know, when you had Deba, Dante, we had Corey Dixon and then Daniel Sapokas, you know, that that all there is just a really high-powered group. And then you had sort of Clay that was just, man, you know, he was just everything. He was effort. He was energy. He was long and active. He could shoot it. You know, he was a fantastic defender, excellent communicator. He had a real runt about him. He had a bit of shit in him too, which was which is what I loved as a coach and why I love Clay so much. He just competed all the time. 
And he was another one that I just saw through the course of the year probably didn't get his due credit, you know, whether it was in the media or, or, or social media or whatever it was. But then, you know, come finals time, Josh, you remember correctly, you know, in that final against Geelong, you know, he had a, yep. he had 20 points, 22 points or something in that game, and he was the difference. You know, he was yep. the one that they, you know, they they looked at Nicholas, they looked at Dixon, they looked at Deborah as the three guys to stop, and they left Clay alone. And Clay just, you know, he was just there knocking down shots all night and, and got us over the line. So those two were probably the most, I think, guys that we recruited, but probably a little underrated versus some others, but it shone brightly. So one person that wasn't with the club that year, well, unfortunately happened to be on the receiving end of a couple of those wins by the Bandits was Jack Duck. And he came back to the club and then took over a leadership role, which he was probably always built for. Do you bring those local guys through knowing that obviously they need to have the baseline talent to compete in a very high level competition? But is there something special about those local guys when it comes to leadership that you can see as a coach or that you develop? Look, it's a fine line when you talk about, um, you know, any of the probably the local sporting clubs that, that participate in any league. You know, all, all your local people, and our club's probably, it's more highlighted because we were, you know, you've only got 10 guys on a list versus, say, maybe 20 of the footy club or, or 30. You know, bringing guys in, you know, everyone immediately wants to see their locals play. I mean, it's just that thing, that inherent thing. Yeah, we want to see our locals play. We want to support our locals. Yeah, that's great. Um, the reality is, though, you're playing in a, you know, the second best league in the country, and, and to participate in that league, you need to be competitive. And I think it's incumbent then that you've got to put a product on the floor that that, that states that. And um, so, with our local talent, you know, it becomes a real a real balancing act of obviously, you know, bringing them into the system and then giving them obviously time to grow and and to improve. And then obviously from there, hopefully, as you go along, you can start to build some some experience, some knowledge and some leadership capacity because probably the biggest challenge I've had coaching with the Bandits is that we just haven't always had that depth of talent locally that's really, really experienced. So if I went through the, the 10 years, you know, we had Nick Payne for, for a couple of years and obviously Nick was fantastic in being able to lead the club and that was, that was really great. He retired in 2014. That left a massive gap pretty much immediately. 2015, we were quite lucky that we had that really talented group, that uh, we had multiple guys on there that could sort of lead and were experienced, and so that that helped. Again, some retirements and departures. From 2016 really onwards, it was about, yeah, like you said, trying to develop some leadership. Jack was one that we, we certainly were able to get some um, get some experience into, and, and leadership only comes with experience. You guys would know that. You've got to... Got to, you've got to earn that respect and trust and, and get a bit of a lay of the land and, and know what habits and behaviours and things of that nature that you need to display as a, as a leader. And Jack was able to build into that. And then we've probably gone through, once Jack sort of stepped away and started playing footy, probably the last three years that I've been coaching, or probably even the last four, we've had a real void again. So it's been trying to bring in the next group of guys that, that can help lead the club. Now, we're not there yet. I think you've got guys like, you know, Jacob Sinkrak would be one that's that I really hope that he can step in and start to lead, you know, the, the club. Bailey Lloyd's probably another. He's probably a bit young yet. Josh McKay's been around the club for a while, but Josh's inherent personality is he's such a quiet guy, but he's certainly experienced now, but he probably needs to now take on a bit more um, leadership. Yeah, so it's just that ongoing challenge that we can continue to get good, good people through 
give them experience and give them time in the system and then hopefully over the course of that we get um, we get a leader or two bobbing up ready to take control of the club because um, I suppose that was probably the biggest challenge for me. I just never had enough vets that you could just let them help guide the, the culture of the club. You always had to lead it as the coach and that's not always the best way to do it. I think, you, you know, you need your playing group leading your habits and behaviours in your culture, I believe, and, and your coach just sort of helps steer that along, whereas I've probably had to really try and build that a lot. And it's difficult when you've got young guys all the time. So, you know, I'm hoping that the club can go on a period now where there's three or four guys in that, in, in that space that can lead the club and, and help um, the new coaching staff out. When you do have imports, which obviously you're talking about, you do have a lot of them, do you have specific people that you group them with to try and give them that sort of stable base? Like you're talking about you don't necessarily have an, like a, a captain per se that can step up as a leader, but I'm thinking footy, right, where you're recruiting in and you're putting someone with a family so that they've got like that grounding base of the area and, and that's just – can you explain to me how it works from the basketball sense or is it just like off you go, find your own way? <laughs> Probably a little bit to the latter there, Mel. Generally when you're re- recruiting guys you know, in a basketball standpoint, I know you, in Europe they, they have a bit of a different outlook on it at times. They do put their imports and stuff with, with families. We've probably always done it a little differently, and this is really at the at the behest of the, the agent and the players that we're dealing with. That they want to they want to have their own space, you know. They want to have their own um, apartment or house. They want to have their own car, and they want to they want to be self sufficient. So, so generally, as a rule, we would we would you know on an ongoing yearly basis, we get a house, or, and then really from there, it's just about you know our local players do do a fantastic job of of you know getting around the boys, you know, in terms of taking them out, you know, mm-hmm. showing them you know, where to go and have something to eat. You know, obviously, um, Aubrey's not really big, so you can really work out pretty quickly where the best spots are to go and have a beer and, yeah. you know, go out and party. So that's pretty easy to do. But, you know, I think over the journey, we, we generally have done a pretty good job as a club. And I think the basketball community will be such a welcoming, you know, community. I, I think every time we've brought people into Aubrey, when I've done exit interviews and guys, whether they're coming back or not, have always said really good things about how we've looked after them. And it's not so much in, yeah, look, taking them under our wing, giving them a bed at our house. It's more about giving them their space, but at the same time just getting around them enough that they feel like, yeah, I'm part of this thing and I'm, I'm part of this community. I know that you've been kind of put had a plan in place to transition as a coach, I'm assuming, for a while, and you've been trying to build up particularly your assistant coaches and influence them and get them to the level where they're – Equally, maybe as good at the the jobs you know are important, talent scouting, dealing with players, all those things. And I think recently in the media, there was a moment where you said you were going to do some other things in the background. You talked about the influence that you wanted to have, but you mentioned that you might be doing something else. What are those things that a former coach can do? And do you know, do you have to kind of remove yourself a little bit so you're not too much of a presence? Or are these questions that you just... You know, the season hasn't started yet, so maybe you're not dealing with yet. Yeah, look, I think um, you know, I've had I've had some some ongoing discussions obviously with 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 the club and, and obviously with um more so with the coaches. And I think oh look, I'm I'm certainly gonna try and um try and step away as much as I can. I think I think that's probably, you know, for me is probably gonna be the best way for it to 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 happen for for everyone. I think there's a new era starting and 
you know, in the early parts of, of the last, probably the last two or three weeks since I've made my call and I've certainly, you know, worked with the club to transition, you know, Hayden into the role and then get him appointed. And then um, I've done a little bit of early work there with with him and, and Brody, who's his assistant coach, in just, you know, starting to look at, you know, the framework of, of the handover and, and, and some retention of players and stuff like that and, and trying to start that little process off. But the reality is I think as we've sort of moved along over the last few weeks, is it, from my standpoint, it's probably been a, a decision where I'm certainly going to try and step away as much as I can, but just be there more as a, a support mechanism, um, particularly for, for Hayden around recruiting around some of the maybe the nitty-gritty, when, when the nitty-gritty decision comes around, do I pick this guy or this guy, whatever that might be, you know, I've made them aware that I'm, I'm available to have those discussions and help out and, and if there's any sort of directional or, you know, things around, you know, visas and the, the process of dealing with agents and negotiations and stuff like that, you know, happy to, to help out because I know, I know, you know, particularly with Hayden, he hasn't done um, any of that before, so... But that's part of the learning curve. You know, he's going to have to just get in and do that. So that's probably where I've just sat over the last couple of weeks is just trying to help formulate a little bit of a plan. And then, and really now I'm just sort of stepping away and and going to let them try and manage it. And like I said, just be there for them in any way, shape or form I can be. It's sort of a thing though, right, where because you have had so much significance to do with that club, you're right, you need to be away because you don't want people turning to you all the time either you you'd be disempowering Hayden by having a presence there as well because they're so ingrained to look to you you almost need to give him a chance to for them to turn to him yeah 100 percent. I think I think from a playing standpoint I think the playing group would be fine I think because I'm not going to be anywhere near you know the uh, the on court stuff at all, yeah. So that's going to be you know I, I certainly made that decision. So the other one is more around um, letting him have his decision making around all the things that he needs to have the powers on, you know. And I think um, yeah. So that's sort of why, like I said, um, initially I, I may have been a bit more involved than I perhaps am now. But I think as times just over the last couple of weeks, I think it was just a better, you know, better outcome for all to. Right, we've, we've sort of set up the baseline. Yeah, you can just work with it, and, and I'll be here. You know, if you ever get stuck in the sand, just let me know, and I'll and I'll and I'll give you some advice and, and help mentor you through some stuff. But but at the same time, you've got to let them um, take the training wheels off and let them get into it. So I think um, that's sort of where it's at. Pretty much, if you're there and available all the time, you'll get used. But if you, well, it's it's the same. We, Josh and I've had the same discussion with volunteerism and stuff like that. And when I stepped away from footy for a bit, I pretty much had to say, "I'm quitting." And they're like, "Oh, what about if you just come occasionally?" And da da da. Because I knew in my head, if I made myself available to them, I'd get the guilt trips. The you know, who's going to do this or this sort of thing. And I had to like fully step to the side so that they found someone else basically because if you're an available resource, you, of course you're going to get used. So I think that's a very smart, <laughs> smart decision by you. And what's your plan to use do with all your spare time? You said you're, you're stepping away, but what is this 
what are you stepping away to? I'm sure you're excited about something. Yeah, well, I mean, it's um, it's it's funny you say that because um, my family and I actually we're actually moving, so um, we're actually moving to the beautiful sunny coast. And, uh, <laughs> I'm so jealous. About three weeks or four weeks, as soon as as soon as um, our old, old mate up in Queensland gets those borders open, we will be heading up there for the next phase of our lives, which is really exciting. So that will entail. Um, You're not stepping, yeah, you're jumping. That's like yeah, that's a, yeah, yeah. You've completely yeah, no, that's jumped. A reverse yeah. double backflip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a um, look. It's an exciting time, and yeah, that will that'll be the next phase of our lives. Moving up there, it's a it's a funny it's a funny situation because um, just regarding the conversation we're having and talking about the the vocation of being in coaching and mm-hmm. a, a relative of mine. So my mother was telling. Her brother-in-law, who lives in Malulaba, the other day, that um, we were moving up there. And anyway, his grandson, who I have never met before or hadn't even linked up with before, um, plays in the in the NBL one competition in Queensland. He plays for the Sunny Coast Phoenix up there, and uh, he's a six foot eight kid. He's twenty one or something like that. And I, I didn't even know any of this. It was, this has only happened in the past sort of ten days. And uh, anyway, the young fellow reached out to me. Hey, you going? Da 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 da. You're coming up here. I look forward to catching up, and um, meeting you, and and all of this, and and um, and obviously that back and forth. Like, yeah, great that we've got another, you know, a hooper in the family. I didn't re- even know that that was the case. And then, um, funnily enough, that um, you know, words sort of got around a little bit up there about, about my movement patterns, and and so that um, yeah, that's been interesting in that I've had a, you know just a couple of other conversations with basketball people up there in the in the meantime of that. So no doubt, um, you know, uh, word gets around pretty quick. And uh, so I, I can imagine when I get up there, I'll probably have, yeah, some people once I get my kids into the into the basketball and things of that nature that I'll probably be um, being tapped on the shoulder to do something. Yeah. <laughs> you know how it is. Well, yeah. So, um, Sport is the best way. To integrate into a community, so mm. I'm sure you'll get multiple roles. <laughs> I know this is a, maybe a funny way to finish up, Brad, but I just want to know, if you're a basketball coach in a league that's at a high level, shouldn't it just be automatic that as soon as someone's over six foot five and they're in your family that you find out about them? Like it should- yeah, I know. I, I, actually, I actually did say that to um, – I said to him, like, you're 21, you're six foot eight, you're in NBL one. I'm a coach. I mean, I should have known this, you know, like you're not we don't have a lot of six foot eight guys growing on trees in Aubrey at the minute. I mean, I could have could have come down and he said, Oh yeah, I, I probably would have been up for that. And like he's only just starting, like he's only 21 and he's yeah. he's just breaking into that level. But no, no, look, I'm I'm looking forward to particularly, you know, catching up with him when I get up there. And yeah. I think people have said, Oh, you know, you've retired, you've retired. Well done. You know, a few people said, well done, congratulations on the retirement. I said, look, I haven't actually really retired. I've just stepped down. I've just, I'm just not coaching the, the bandits anymore, but yeah. but I'm far from retired. I said, it's not, it's, <laughs> I will coach again. It's just, uh, it's an inherent thing. I'm, I'm 47 years of age. I'm not 80. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I will coach again and I've got a passion to coach again. So it just won't be with the, the Aubrey Wodonga bandits. So, so that's sort of, yeah, like no, I'm looking forward to getting up there and, and doing some work with, with obviously my my young kids and, and obviously, um, like I said, I've already had a few people reach out and, and um, yeah, shown some expressions of interest around 
where I'm at. So that'll be an interesting, you know, next six to 12 months of what that sort of puts out on the table for me, I suppose. I'm going to throw some shade on your, like, recruitment processes. If you don't know that a family member <laughs> is that tall, then you're not so good so a you, recruiter. That undermines. <laughs> that what? undermines the whole. Yeah, my whole preface. A whole preface that Josh had said, oh, he's amazing. He can find talent out of, and he can't find it under his own nose. <laughs> so, guys, we thought that was a good place to finish up part one with Brad. In part two, we actually cover some of Brad's early basketball career, how he got into the sport, when he first discovered maybe he might want to start coaching, and some early mentorship, which came from within his own family, actually, and some direction there. And Brad also tells a really incredible story about a group of people turning up to support the Bandits when Brad was a player, and a really amazing atmosphere at a home game that Brad was fortunate enough to be part of. So you can find part two, you can share the show, you can support us by clicking on the buy me a coffee button all over at punchingsideways.com. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Brad for being awesome. Thanks to my co-host Mel and we'll talk to you guys again soon. Cheers. Cheers.